Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. And with me today, I have Nathan Fox, as always. Let me just uh, apologize right off the bat. I've got construction going on outside my apartment, and so you might hear some banging and clanging and things like that. Nothing I can do about it. I apologize. I'm going to try to keep my mic muted as much as possible so that you don't have to hear that stuff. And uh, yeah, anyways, my bad. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I can't hear it right now, so maybe it won't be a problem. But uh, we also have Seth Harding today, which is our very own Doogie Hauser JD. <laughs> Seth is uh, 15 years old, right, Seth? 15 okay. years old. Yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting situation. Never mm-hmm. met anyone who I think is 15 preparing for the LSAT, but... Um, <laughs> We're excited to hear your situation, learn more about you and what's what's going on and maybe answer some of your questions. Uh, when we're done with with you, Seth, we're going to go into some questions from a listener and then tackle a LR question, a logical reasoning question from the June 2007 LSAT. Nathan, do you have anything else you wanted to add? No, that's perfect. Let's do it. Okay. So, Seth... Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're 15 years old and you're studying for the LSAT. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was homeschooled. That is the strategy for education that my family has taken. I'm actually from a very large family. I have nine siblings, so 10 of us in total, and I'm the sixth. And homeschooling was, uh, that was basically the, the, the pattern by the time I came along. So... Um, I was homeschooled until I was 10 years old and then I took the ACT. I, I took the ACT and I started college when I was 11 years old at, uh, one of the colleges nearby. I'm in Alabama, by the way. Uh, I'm a history major now, uh, with a minor in political science and I'm a senior. So what I've decided, uh, is the next step is, uh, the LSAT. Cool. Wow, that's that's quite the story. So, yeah, why did you end up taking the uh, ACT yeah, when okay. you were 10 or 11? 10, I guess. I, uh, I was 10 years old the first time I took it. Now, just like homeschooling, starting college early was also a pattern in my family. The oldest child, uh, her name is Hannah, she uh, started in public school, I believe, and then my parents decided to start homeschooling her around the third grade. And basically what happened is she found that her interest uh, was mathematics. And with that interest, she was able to excel herself to the point where uh, my parents would allow her to, you know, skip lessons in her study book. And she was at, I I believe she finished algebra two around 11 or 12, something like that. But basically she got to the college level of algebra around that age. So what my parents were thinking is sort of as a Let's just see what happens. They allowed her uh, to take the ACT. Actually, I believe it was SAT because uh, my family was in California at that time. So what what ended up happening there was she got a score high enough to um, be accepted to um, to college. And then they were sort of like, well, let's let's see what happens, you know, because she was interested in taking a, a college level math course. My dad had taught her as much as she could, uh, um, as much as he could, sorry. So then uh, once she took that class and probably got an A or B, I can't remember exactly, but basically 
um, at that point, we saw that it could be done and that it was an enjoyable experience. And then the rest of that is history for my family, really. Because wow. each, each of the um, following children followed that pattern. Of course, uh, with her, it was mathematics. With me, it was history. Uh, and then a different subject for each of my siblings. Hmm. Well, that's that's really interesting. So you ended up going to a college near your home, right? Yeah, and actually within walking distance. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what was Which, that like? Going that, to a class where you were 11, 12, right? Did people yep. think you were in the wrong place, I assume? Yep. Uh, that That happened a couple times, or at least... You know, trying to find out why is he here? Is is he the son of a teacher? Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember my first the the first college course I took. Basically, the way it happened, just to be sure that it wasn't a nerve wracking experience for me at all, or I wasn't worried about anything. Uh, my father walked me into to, to my first class there and actually introduced me to the teacher. So that was, you know, a nice thing. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily worried about it because I knew that all my older siblings had done it. I knew that they weren't, you know, just if, if you know someone that well that's done something like a sibling relationship, you know that it's something that you can do too. <laughs> if, 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 if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, all my siblings are bright, but, um. Uh, just knowing that they had done it made me feel like I could do it as well. So my first class, it was an English course, and I had to answer a lot of questions from the other students. Obviously, it's not every day that there's a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, I can't, can't remember exactly, uh, shows up to your class. But basically, you know, all the other students are friendly on campus. They just think it's something really cool. And they're always happy if I can help them study for the final, and you know they're all easy to get along with. It's a nice, um, a nice conversation starter. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. So then you're graduating this December, right? That's what you yes. said in your email. Graduating this okay. December, which then gives me a semester off or so before uh, law school. Okay, so you're planning to start uh, in the next cycle. Yes. Okay. Wow. Now, I think in your email you mentioned that you're trying to you're wondering if in the time that you have between now and the June 6 LSAT, which is yes. basically a month at this point, can you bring your score up from you started with a 148, right? When you just took a yes. test cold. One, 148, yeah. Yeah. Can you bring that up to a score that's viable to compete at the Ivy League level by test date? Uh, so in a month or so. Um, mm -hmm. Nathan, what do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, to think about Ivy League schools, you'd be looking at 165 or higher probably. Uh, it's not impossible to go from 148 to 165 in three weeks. But, uh, you know, it's not like it's the easiest thing in the world either. <laughs> I would... Uh, I would maybe back up off of that and ask why the rush to law school? I mean, what are you going to do with this? You're going to graduate from law school when you're 18, 19 years old? Yeah, around around there, yeah. Then what? What's your plan? And then the plan from there, so I have to back up a little bit to explain that. 
So starting college with my interest in history, I was thinking that I would probably do archaeology or I would do academic history uh, or possibly museum work. And then uh, I suppose it was two semesters ago, I did an internship in the public history world and I enjoyed it, but I felt that uh, that maybe there was more that I could do. It's a great field, and I enjoyed working with everyone I did work with, but uh, I still felt like maybe I could try to go further, if that makes sense. Um, and then I also I took some political science courses, and then I, de- I declared that as my minor, and learning that field a little more got me more interested in, in the idea of law school, because... For history majors, you know, you either teach or you do public history or you go outside of the history field just using your writing and reading skills or you go to law school is what it seemed like so far. As I branched out into, into political science, the law school route and the opportunities that are opened up with law school became more and more attractive to me. I would be perfectly happy with the firm lifestyle, if that's where I ended up. But I'm more interested in uh, working in Washington, uh, possibly on policy. Now, I don't know uh, exactly what kind, but uh, basically um, any any kind of thing in that field. And then possibly uh, after learning what I can in a position like that, uh, possibly running for uh, an office myself. Do you know anyone with a JD degree? That's a good question. Not on like a personal level, meaning no one that I have met outside of on event designed to meet people like that, if that makes sense. No one in my family has, has, has gone to law school. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about taking a year off and uh, getting some work experience? Mm-hmm. Maybe even you know, involved in what you're interested in, but to try to see how that's related to, see how interested you are in it and see how relevant a JD is to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. I have uh, some friends at Huntington, that's that's my college, uh, who are also planning on law school, um, who, are, who have decided on the year off thing. That seems to be fairly common. But there's a couple of factors as to why I, I didn't jump on that as a first choice. One, I was able to do another internship um, with the Supreme Court here in Alabama. So I got to see, uh, you know, I got to see a closer look at some alternative uses of the JD um, other than just uh, working with a firm. And also, I feel like uh, something that's very specific to me as for the way that I can sell myself to a law school or to, you know, any kind of job opportunity is my age uh, because that's obviously the thing that, that, that stands out the most about me. Now, of course, with the age, the, the, the downside of that is not having the experience of someone of the average age, which I believe law school, the average applicant's around 30, right? Yeah, I thought it was like 28, but I'm not okay. entirely sure. I don't know, but certainly not uh, 17 or 16, I think, actually, is when I'll be um, 
starting yet. So with that, though, I mean, of course, with a year off, I'd, I'd still be young, but I feel like I've seen enough of what I'm interested in uh, that I'm pretty much decided on it, if, if, if that makes sense. I mean, of course, I'll keep, you know, looking and keep trying to learn about it, but that just doesn't seem like something that would be completely beneficial for me. And if, if, if anything, that might, it's just, once you take a year off, I, I've also heard people that, 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 uh, that started with the year off and then decided to skip law school, you know? Right. But in that case, it's often the best thing that ever happened to them. That's true. Yeah. One thing you mentioned, you said that you had an internship at the Supreme Court in your yes. state. Yes. So you do, uh, you did, I'm assuming, interact with people who have JDs, right? I mean, right. Uh, what, was your, when, what was your position? Uh, so I was shadowing, um, I was shadowing some actual law students there that I, um, I think some of them were interns and others had actual positions there, if not like a summer long uh, position. Basically, I was just, you know, just learning about the whole system and how that worked and how that actually looked, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, just to see. And that was after the internship with, with a museum here. So I could kind of compare those and think, which do I want? Yeah. What did you actually end up doing for the Supreme Court? Mainly, uh, I read some of their most important uh, court uh, court decisions, and I read the particular judge I was working with. This was Justice Parker. I read some of his some of his opinions on some of his more high um, high profile cases, and then after that, I would discuss the cases with other law students there and with judge to some degree. Okay. So did Justice Parker, is that who you said? Yes. You said? Yeah. Did you ever talk to him about going to law school and what his thoughts were on a legal career? And Yes, I age? did actually. He is very fond of my family. I'm actually, my younger sister, she is the one other um, sibling in my family that has an interest in law and she actually decided that's what she wanted to do earlier than I did. Uh, because I was, you know, expecting either academic history or public history for most of my college career. And so she actually was an intern there before I was. Um, so once I was there, you know, he knew about my situation well. And he actually just uh, talked to me a bit about a bit about law school and about the LSAT and about admissions and recommended some schools and offered to write a letter. Um, he was really kind about all that. And he also, he was curious about why it is I was, I was interested in law. And basically what I tried to, to say there was that after studying history, what it seemed to me is that the way for me to have an effect on history in the way uh, I would like to in America it seems that the best route for me would be uh, law school. Hmm. Now, that can sound pretty idealistic, <laughs> and maybe I've spent too much time reading history books, but that's still the answer I would give. Okay. One thing I'm thinking right now is um, you mentioned your interest of maybe eventually becoming a politician, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm here in Washington, D.C., and 
maybe half of the students that I work with or a third of them, maybe more actually, are somehow involved with government. They either work on the Hill for a senator or for a representative or they work for some agency or they work for a company that is somehow a government contractor or providing some sort of uh, policy consulting to someone or something. That's that's basically uh, where the money is here, and that's where most people's jobs are tied into it somehow. Even mm-hmm. even my job as an LSAT instructor is basically churning out more potential law students who will then go to to will then go to law school and then sort of get involved in the system here. Mm-hmm. And I just think that. Um, there would be immense value in getting a position on the Hill, uh, maybe with, uh, you're in Alabama, right? Yes. An Alabama representative or senator or, or some sort of think tank here in the area. There are a lot of people who come do this, and they arrive in D.C. and have very specific ideas about what happens here. And then leave thinking, I have, I don't want to have anything to do with what is going on in the Beltway uh, because I don't really like what politics really is. On the flip side of that, there are some people who come here and they say, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. And you will meet a ton of people who have JDs. There are so many people on the Hill who have JDs. And that's why a lot of people in this area are studying for the LSAT and trying to go to law school because they mm. they look at the people around them and they say, hey, look, to to sort of move up in my career, even though it's not technically a legal job, uh, I need to get a JD and mm. be like the people I'm working with. So I, I think it could be an experience in which it would either solidify your commitment or, as Nathan was saying, turn you away in mm. a good way. Now, maybe you'd still decide to go to law school and pursue something totally different mm-hmm. uh, along the history lines, but the fact that you're toying with maybe becoming a politician and given the fact that you have time, mm. I would I would seriously consider getting experience here. It's a great city. It's an exciting city, but it's also a city that some people love and some people hate. The other thing here is even if you do take this time off, I know you're worried about that and you're trying to press forward and you're you're saying your selling point is your age and I get that. It does definitely make you stick out. But even after one year, your age is still going to be <laughs> yeah. a strong selling point. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, is it is it though? I think it is for sure. He's yeah. going to stick out. In it's hard not to notice. I mean, I'm not saying that people say, "Oh, he's young, therefore we want him right away." But mm-hmm. it's definitely something to say. Let me consider this candidate. Let me think about what what's their situation. Uh, it's not like I just can't imagine anybody thinking that's a selling point. I, it's it's not. It, yes, it does make you different. But you know, three arms makes you different. <laughs> it's not like that's you're going to put that up on your dating profile. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's um so I could see the law schools thinking, "Oh wow, this is interesting because it is Doogie Hauser JD, you know, like okay, Seth, he's obviously going to be a super smart kid because he's graduating from college so young and that's interesting. He's bright. But they know how bright you are based on your LSAT score and your GPA anyway. Mm-hmm. So other than being bright, or being a little bit different, I just don't see that. Maybe yeah. it helps you get into law school, although I would think that an equal number of schools would be really reluctant because yeah. you're so young. And for employers, I would think employers hate the idea of you being 18 <laughs> years old and graduating from law school. I mean, they're going to employ you and put you in front of a client when you're 18 years old. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, it like looks like you're wearing your dad's suit. I, I just, I mean, I'm not, and I'm really not trying to pick on you, Seth. I just, oh yeah, I just don't understand the rush. And my gut is telling me that it's not a selling point. That is going to be the exact opposite of that. But Ben seems like you disagree. Yeah, I disagree. I think it's also the reason that Seth is on the show today. I mean, it's something that sticks out. It catches people's attention. And you say to yourself, I mean, Seth, like Nathan says, if you don't have the the GPA or if you don't have the LSAT score, it's going to fade pretty quickly. But if you have those things, I think it's more impressive than someone who has the same numbers who's older because it says, wow, this person is focused uh, despite their age. And I don't necessarily think that would be, I think it would be a hesitation for employers. But if again, if you graduate from a good school and you have a good GPA, it shows focus and determination for someone who normally at that age would not be accomplishing anywhere near any of that. So I I guess, yeah, I, I don't, I see it as something that's going to attract attention. And once you grab people's attention, if you have the numbers to back it up, I think they'll be uh, interested. So mm-hmm. it's certainly a great hook, and yeah, of course. I mean, you're on the show because it's an interesting thing, so that's why you're here. Yeah, you, it's definitely going to attract publicity and attention. I I just still hesitate whether right. that's the right decision. And I can certainly see, you know, uh, schools, certain schools, feeling that same sort of reluctance. But what I've sort of tried to do. Uh, to foresee that and to to prepare for that is I have several people that, that I think could write me a good recommendation letter that could sort of explain, yes, uh, he is 16, 17 years old, but I've seen him in my classroom or I've seen him in my office and he can, you know, I mean, not to try to praise myself, but obviously what I would want them to say is he can perform on the level of anyone the average age and sometimes above that. I've tried to get as much experience outside of the classroom as possible with the internships I've mentioned and anytime I've been able to present a a paper of mine, whether that's history or political science, I always uh, take that opportunity just to 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 try to show them that I'm not just a not just a nerd that only works well in a classroom. And what I'm sort of expecting from the law school admissions process is on the one hand they want you to have lots of real world experience, but on the other hand they want diversity in the classroom. I would I would expect. Now, I might be wrong by that, but I can't see why uh that would not be their goal. And that's something, I mean, where is there another chance to have a student that's, you know, in this specific situation that's so different from uh, all the other uh, students? Can I make a counter argument to that? I'm not saying this is my position, but what would you say if someone said, does naivety really bring additional perspective to the classroom? Right. And what, you know, one thing that sort of just depends on how you phrase it, because you can also say that maybe I'm going to bring these younger sort of ideals that uh, older people may have forgotten about. And then that's something that might add to it. So to me, that just kind of depends on the bias of the specific um, admissions 
uh, personnel reading my application. And I think that I can present myself in the application process in a way that doesn't make me um, appear, you know, naive or young in a negative way, uh, but just appear appear advanced in that I have comp I have comprehended the same ideas uh, that people older than me have, and I've you know, and I've faced the same challenges that people older than me have, and uh, each time I. Uh, have passed or done well. Yeah, I mean, you sound very bright. You handled that question very well. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Welcome. Hopefully, uh, that means when I'm in the courtroom, if I end up practicing on that way, I'll handle it uh, better than that. <laughs> so, so Seth, how you how do you feel about coming to DC for a year? I I think that could add I to your your totally experience. I think that yeah. I think uh, that would be an awesome opportunity. I have uh, some 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 other friends here who have been able uh, to secure one of the internship slots with Senator Sessions, and I I've just I've seen that before, and it seems like a great thing. It's just that I know with each of them, one issue was. How are we going to fund this for me to live in a new city? Uh, and so that's that. That's something that I would have to work out. Uh, but hopefully, you know, if that opportunity arises, I would definitely take it. Ben, you probably need like an intern, right? Proctor for your practice tests, office assistant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, awesome. there we go. <laughs> yeah, that that is actually true, and a uh, a a source of uh, some funding. I think it could actually add to your story as well if you uh, if you saved up money to get an internship out here doing some you know work back home and then made that part of your story. Yeah. I think it would add to the credibility that you bring to the well it would make you more credible in the sense that yeah. I think people have concerns about okay great you've you've done really well with books how are you going <laughs> exactly. to do in other situations and if you say look I saved up money and I paid for most or all of my experience in DC and people mm -hmm. you know people realize DC is kind of a gritty place so if you come mm -hmm. here I mean it's a nice city I, I don't mean that in a negative way but it's politics you know and they say hey look I came and I worked for uh, Senator Sessions or someone else and um, I was involved with it, and I helped in several different ways. They'll know that you've you've been exposed to the way things work here a little bit more than if you just you know apply from Alabama and the experiences you've had there. Which you know you've been in college, so it's it's not like I, I don't want to say that you don't have experiences, but I think that's people that's what that's going to be their concern as Nathan but, has been yeah right. I, Even, for me I think living away from home for a year would be a big part of the story mm -hmm. you know yeah you've been in college Seth but you know <laughs> yeah I think people are going to be a little bit wary of the yeah. fact that you literally walked to school it's an interesting bit but you know before someone's going to take the plunge on you as a as a law student or an employee, I would think, uh, yeah, the, the move to the city and spend a year away from home thing, okay. I think, would help your case quite a lot. And uh, something else that I've thought about, I mean, with any college student, regardless of the age, there's sort of a certain, a certain idealism that they have and that an employer wouldn't be too excited about. And 
you know, they just don't always see the world in the most accurate fashion. And so I think that's something that, yes, that applies more so to me, but that applies to any applicant. But of course, being an extreme version of that, uh, that's something I have to focus on. Speaking for myself, the older I've gotten, the less certain I've gotten about the way the world works. You know, I mean, I've reinvented myself. I'm a different person at 40 than I was at 35. And I was a different person at 35 than I was at 30. And so, you know, (laughs) I've gone through 10 different versions of myself since I was your age. So looking back at you wanting to make this big plunge at 15 years old just makes me think, man, what is 20 or 25-year-old Seth going to think of 15-year-old Seth's plan, especially (laughs) if 15-year-old Seth is incurring, you know, some mountain of um, law school debt? Yeah. And that is uh, my hope for the LSAT is to take as much debt off my back as possible. Yeah. 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 If you can get a high score and get a scholarship, then in some ways you have time to spare. So you can get a degree. You shouldn't get it if you have any doubts about whether you should get it. But if it turns out to be the wrong decision, uh, you still have a whole life ahead of you to do something else <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with, okay. a, with a JD tagged onto that with That's for no purpose. That's the but. whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think the yeah. June LSAT for you definitely seems too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know you're already registered for it, but what, so when you emailed me, you said you're at a 148. Have you taken yes. the practice test since then? Not a full practice test, but, uh, I, because the way that I'm studying now, I'm using the Kaplan book and I was basically going through a chapter a day of that. And it's like a chapter of strategy and tactics and how to approach different kinds of questions in the different sections. Sometimes it will repeat itself and present things in a way that I'm not sure if that's, you know, the best way to approach it or if, because any, any kind of book like this, they have to, you know, they have to cater to all kinds of uh, students for all kinds of scores. So um, I, I think I place somewhere near the middle. So, you know, uh, any strategies that they're trying to explain to someone towards the bottom end, something that's something that I would breeze over. Um, and it seems like the best alternative um, to an online course or to an in-person course, if not the only real alternative. But yeah, I've taken another uh, section of logical reasoning underneath um, the testing times and limitations and I saw a five point increase from like a 16 and a 14 on the first two from that first full test I took but basically I'm around a 15 Um, and after studying and prepping and doing you know like single problems uh, the last time I took it I got 20 out of 25 so that was after a little over a week of studying now that's only one section and a single, you know, a single session to draw from. So I'm not sure if I got lucky or if that's poor performance. But I can see myself improving already. Hey, that's 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 great. I would um, keep in mind this: the uh, the test date change deadline 
-hmm. was yesterday. So Mm -hmm. if you're still registered for the test, there's nothing to do now except cancel or take it. Wait, withdraw, withdraw. Yeah, sorry, wrong word. Withdraw or take it, and you'd want to withdraw before midnight the day before. So that's Sunday night. Uh, Obviously, as soon as you know that you're not going to take it, withdraw earlier. But, I mean, one thing you can do now, it's not going to cost you any money since you've already passed that deadline, is Mm -hmm. just to see what sort of progress you make. My guess is that you're not going to get to the scores that you want to get by that time, Uh, but you need to take... You need to take a full test again to mm-hmm. see really what score that ends up being. Right. Uh, you need to do it uh, and then repeat it because sometimes you know your score can go up and then it can go down a little bit. So you need to get in a lot more tests. I'd also say I would get different books. I would look yeah. at Nathan's books, Power Score books, the LSAT trainer, things like that. Um, not necessarily that you need to get all of those, <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm not super confident about what Kaplan has to say. Yeah, I think we like the Manhattan books better, the Blueprint books better. We like almost everything better than the Kaplan books. So okay. that seems a little weak. We also usually recommend you know, that people do something like 10 practice tests kind of as a minimum mm-hmm. before they sit for the real thing. And I wouldn't recommend that someone does 10 practice tests in three weeks. Okay. So I I think Ben's right that it's, you know, even if you got to a 165 before the June 6th LSAT, I would then suspect that you were actually capable of a 170 or a 175. Yeah. So I'm just feeling like, you know, unless you really max out, if you start <laughs> scoring 170 on your practice test, then by all means takes, you know, by all means take it yeah. on June 6th. But if you don't, it's almost like no matter what score you reach, I will suspect you could have gotten higher. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking withdraw from the June 6th mm-hmm. LSAT. And um, I know, uh, I think I've heard you two actually on this subject before, uh, but it's better to apply earlier because that, you know, there's more money for scholarships and more seats open, that sort of thing. Um, so if... I pass up on the June LSAT, and I take it in, what, it's end of September, start of October? September this year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And then, I mean, that's still, with by the time that score comes back, I'd still be a fairly early applicant, right? Still plenty early. Uh, I had Anne Levine in my LSAT class last night, and she was very clear that she's not seeing any difference in scholarship offers between the people who apply in September or October or okay. the target that she sets is that she really wants people to have their applications in before Thanksgiving. So that does mean September LSAT is the, you know, the best one. She says, if you take it in December and you apply in January, that's just not early anymore. I mean, it's fine, but it's not early. Um, but if you apply before Thanksgiving, she's calling that early. Okay. Yeah, just to just to clarify there, I mean uh September the September LSAT is the the last one, right? Yeah, right. Like, exactly, which is why we try to push people to to think about taking June because then you can use September as a as a backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you might be able to take 10 tests in 3 weeks, but the, here's the <laughs> test. Here here's here's the the thing that I tell everyone how many tests you can take in a given amount of time depends 100% on how well you're doing. So if you take a test 
and you score a 172, that means you got anywhere from six to ten questions wrong. You can review those questions. You can figure them out pretty quickly and even take a day off and still be ready to take another test pretty soon after that. But if you're scoring 148, 155, there are a ton mm -hmm. of questions that you need to review. You need to understand why they're right, why the wrong answers are wrong. You need to probably look at questions you even got right and try to say, wait a sec, I was not totally sure about this one. Why did I get... So the time that you need to review that test and really learn from it before you go take another test is a lot greater. So maybe 10 is feasible in three weeks but you'd need to be getting almost yeah. you know very few wrong and i that's not where you are right now yeah and so my guess is that you're going to need more time as nathan was saying okay. yeah and your, it seems like your plan from your email was kind of like i'm going to study full time because you got no job no school right now and you know yeah. you're going to you're going to fully focus which is great except that I don't know that that's the best way to improve on the LSAT. We, Ben and I both recommend a kind of a slow drip kind of a process yeah. where you do just a little bit every day. I mean, Ben asks his students to commit to 15 minutes as a minimum, <laughs> you know, 15 minutes every day just to develop right. that habit. And I'm sure that you can productively put in an hour or two or three uh, per day, but I don't know that you can put in eight hours a day and have every have anything actually still sinking in at that point you know your, your eyes are going to be crossed so uh. so far it's turned out to be realistically an hour or two or three a day yeah so yeah september is starting to seem more and more attractive yeah and yeah. It, it you you definitely i mean sure applying early is better but you also should not take the LSAT until you're really ready. I mean, you've got to, your practice test scores need to be something that you're really comfortable with before you waste one of your three attempts at the test. Mm -hmm. The So to be clear, because of this very probable outcome that you're going to take it in September, uh, make sure to withdraw before midnight the night before the test. Otherwise, you'll end up getting a cancellation on your record. If you withdraw before midnight no record whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you do know that you're definitely not going to take it, withdraw, and that may be pretty soon. The cancellation doesn't really do anything except it wastes one of your three attempts. It's not yeah. like who cares what it looks oh, like. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, okay. it's just that it, it is one of your three attempts at the test. You can take it three times in any two-year period. And the withdrawal is that it's as if you were never registered. The cancellation is one of your three strikes. So you need to oh. not cancel and, and not no-show. You actually have to uh, go online and withdraw. Okay, which does not count as a strike on that three. It okay. doesn't count as anything. You don't get the money back. Um, you know, well, it's $175 that you sacrifice. But, <laughs> uh, when law school costs $175,000, it's probably yeah. not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah and I, I agree that it doesn't uh, reflect – like if you ended up with a cancellation, that wouldn't be a big deal. The only thing you have to worry about is if you cancel accidentally and then end up needing to actually cancel for some reason. You get sick or whatever in September. Now you have two cancellations on your record. I think that does start to look bad. So yeah. you just don't want to waste any of these opportunities and these cancellations. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um, Seth, it's been really good talking to you. Do you yeah. have anything else, Nathan, that you want to go over? No, I think that's fine. Seth, do you have any other questions for us? Uh, no, I think you guys uh, cleared it all up for me. Thanks. So, Seth, before you leave, have you do you have any have you seen Doogie Howser? Do you know what <laughs> his show is? 
<laughs> I, uh, I actually, the first time I heard about it was a joke about my age. So, um, oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess a lot of yeah. people have. Have you seen yeah. the show at all? It's I know. I actually haven't watched it. I probably should just you know to have something to respond with. I guess. Well, yeah, maybe just one episode, you know, or even half an episode. But Nathan, when you thought of this show, did th- did that annoying opening music come to your mind? No, I I have mercifully <laughs> forgotten about it. But I'm gonna definitely now try to avoid that at all costs because I don't want to get it, you know, stuck in my head. Okay, yeah. So here, let me give you a, a <laughs> no, teaser here no, for a second. No, no. This is so, uh, Seth. This is what you'll okay. hear when you you watch your episode. All right. Can you guys hear that? Faintly. Oh my gosh, this is so bad. Well, it's really quiet, but <laughs> okay. anyway, Andy will find a clip of it and cut it into yeah. the episode. So, right. so for anyone who uh, grew up with that remotely or who had uh, siblings who did, there, there you go. But anyways, Seth, okay. Seth, thank you so much for talking to yeah. us. Um, I just, I can't believe I didn't realize this till now, but <laughs> uh, my my youngest son is named Seth, and we actually homeschool as well. So. I, I, you know, I'll tell him that uh, he's expected to be out of the house by ten. So. <laughs> well, tell him he's going to have another roommate in a few months. Oh, uh, yeah. when Seth comes for his uh, internship. That's <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, awesome. we figured it all out for you, Seth. You got You're going to take it. You're going to come here for a year. You're going to have an internship. You're going to make a little money on the side at Strategy, and then, um, uh, yeah, take the test in September. Right. That's you. 100 percent on all that. Yeah, keep in touch with us, Seth. We'd love to hear from you again and uh, reach out anytime you have questions. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on the show for an update in a few months or something like that. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Good, See ya. Cool. Thanks, Seth. Take care. dive into the rest of our agenda yeah let's do this so we have a a question or some questions from henry and i guess he emailed you right so maybe yeah he emailed me it's sort of just random person from the internet because i he didn't say if he listens to the show or if how how he found me okay um and this is a little bit paraphrased but hi nathan i got a 153 on my first lsat um I've read the LSAT trainer and the power score Bibles and studied and my prep test scores are now 160 to 165, uh, allegedly, because then he says, granted, I didn't take them in one sitting and didn't time, but I have no trouble with time management on LR and RC. Uh, logic games is a time waster however dude let's let's just stop there for a half second i got an email just like this the other day where someone was like what can you do for me i just took a practice test and i got a one i think it was a 165 and i was like oh wow that's pretty good and then he said but i didn't do it timed and i'm thinking this i i don't know you know Timing is a, is the name of the game, and we need to figure out where you're at with the timing aspect. And same thing, sort of. He said, "Oh, logic games took me forever, and I don't want to take it again. I don't want to take a test timed because I feel like I'll be so demoralized." And one thing I was saying to him was, 
I wrote back and I said, I think you're thinking about this whole practice test thing in the wrong way. If you feel like you're going to be demoralized, which is, it's understandable, but if you feel like that, then you're not looking at it as information. You're looking at it as like an assessment of yourself or who you are or something like that. And you're denying yourself the opportunity to have insider knowledge of where you're really at, what you really need to work on, and how long things realistically take. And I feel like that loss of information is just so severe and they just need to treat it like information, not an assessment of their self-worth or anything like that. Yeah, I like to say it's just it's not a diagnostic for judgmental purposes. It's a diagnostic of, hey, what are what kind of mistakes are you making Mm -hmm. and and where do we go from here? If you're not timing yourself, you're not realistic about the test. Yeah, Um, people act differently when the clock is ticking. And one of the big reasons to time yourself is just so that you can learn how to cope with that pressure of the ticking clock. And so I'm just, I am never impressed. Uh, people people love to tell me that they can get them all right if they have unlimited time, and I don't care at all. I, it's like, that's that's great, but it's a timed test, so... You know. Yeah, and you, you raise a really good point about the time pressure because he says right here, I have no trouble with time management on LR and RC, but you're absolutely right. It's interesting because you say, okay, let's set the timer for 35 minutes, and all of a sudden, even though he may have finished it within the 35-minute time frame, we don't know for sure, but he may have finished it within that time frame, now that he actually has to stick to it, you get a little nervous. You start going yeah. a little too fast when you shouldn't. You're not thinking yeah. now. Now you have to rethink questions and you get them wrong. So it's like people have to practice with that feeling so that they can then get over it. Right. Yeah, it's not like I don't believe him. I mean, I'm sure he he, he can confidently finish the sections in 35 minutes, the, the LR and the RC in 35 minutes. Fine, I, I believe you. But um, then time yourself when you're doing it. Yeah. Because that's how it's going to be on the day of the test. Also, I think it's important that you give yourself a five-minute warning because that five-minute warning is going to happen on the day of the test. Yeah. And you need somebody interrupting you saying five minutes so that you can – because, you know, what happens? Oh, yeah, A lot of people just tank after the five minutes. They suck after the five minutes because they try to do every question remaining in the section. And um, so it it is really important that you do 35-minute timed sections with a five-minute warning. Um, then, and then also on the games, you know, he's, everybody has time pressure on the games. And so he's trying to report a 160 to 165 LSAT score, but he's allowing himself apparently unlimited time on the logic games. Um, who knows what his actual games performance is going to be when the clock is ticking. Yeah. You know, this is interesting. This is a situation where I think you're being a little more generous than I am. You're saying that, uh, you believe him and, I I honestly don't. He says he has no trouble with uh, LR and RC when it comes to timing, but so many people that I talk to, they say, yeah, you know, I I did it in time. Granted, I gave myself an extra minute because it was just sort of like I was on the last one. And I'm thinking, huh? So I wonder, without actually timing yourself, I'm wondering how precise he how was. How do you even know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's a couple other things in here that are kind of red flags, you know. Um, so the the email goes on. Could you please offer tips how to increase from 160 slash 165, which, you know, we don't grant you your 160 or 165 because <laughs> yeah. you haven't been timing yourself. But could you please offer tips on how to increase to 175 to 180? 
uh, I'm poor and I hope to find a scholarship at a top school. And my, you know, my reaction to that is just when you, when people are ever even asking about 175 to 180, it indicates a level of naivety about the test yeah. that they just don't, they don't know how rare that actually is. Yeah. And they don't know how hard it actually is to get 175 to 180. No one needs that score, really. Yeah. I mean, you can get into great schools with 165, 170. You really don't need the top high 170s scores. And it's just, it's not so simple as like, hey, give me a tip so that I can get to 180. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work that way. Well, I think, yeah, that's just a constant uh, misunderstanding. I feel like, sure, 172 and 180 sound a lot different, and it would be great to have a 180 versus a 172. But the reality is, at that point, you're competing on so many other things. Once you get to a 172 or 170, uh, the admissions people know that you're good at this stuff, you're in the top. Two or three percent. Now they're going to be much more concerned about your personal statement, what you have to say for yourself, your GPA, your overall package. So there's not much of a difference here. Right. 173 is roughly 99th percentile. Yeah. Most tests, mm-hmm. 173 is about 99th percentile. By the time you're at 99th percentile, it's really all gravy at that point. I mean, Harvard and Stanford and Yale are perfectly happy turning down. 180 LSAT scores. I mean, they don't care. They're not impressed yeah. by your 180. Yeah. So, uh, you know, by all means, get the best LSAT score you possibly can. But uh, shooting for 180, you know, it's and and it's like the score that Henry has on record is a 153. So shooting for 180 is probably keeping him from getting his 160 or his 165 yeah. at this point. And, and he really needs to be thinking about taking baby steps, taking lots of time to practice tests and then looking for incremental improvement, not uh, just magical fantasy improvement to 175. Yep. Um, then it goes on and says also in terms of career, could you please advise if I should get a CPA and a master in finance first before getting a JD? Would that help cover all grounds in case I get unemployed due to not being at the top of a law school? When when I read this, I was like, no, no, no. You have to think of this whole law school thing as this is what you're going to do or you're not going to do it and you need to get out now. You have to be like Cortez and burn your boats and say, I'm not going back. I'm not going to have something in my back pocket. It's sort of like buying a house and then saying, well, I'm going to buy the one next door just in case I can't afford the mortgage on this bigger house. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, do you want to be an accountant? Yeah. <laughs> or do, do you want to be a finance, like work in finance at a corporation or something? Or do you want to be a lawyer? What, what do you want to do with your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean – why don't you just tack on a an MD on top of all these degrees? You know that'll then you'll really have your bases covered. <laughs> um, I don't like it when people are they just like they're doing this because they think they're going to make money. You know, like they're and I I understand. I don't get me wrong. I understand that people need to make a living and that they're worried about. Oh man, what am I going to do with my life and my career and whatever? And I want to provide for my family and all that. I I understand the need for safety and security and all those things. But when it's just the JD is not going to provide you any safety and security 
unless you want to practice law or you know some other practical route where you're going to actually be able to use this JD. Yeah. People thinking like, oh, well, JD, that's a good, you know, lawyer, that's a good career. No, <laughs> it is for some people, mm-hmm. but it's not for most people. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're just like arbitrarily looking at the average salary for lawyers and thinking, oh, this is a good route, mm, go meet a lawyer, you know, and, and follow them around and find out what they actually do. Yeah. I know we say this on every single show, but it's just so important. People really miss that. Yeah. Well, good. Um, anything else for the for Henry? No. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, thanks, Henry, for writing. And I know we always beat up all of our <laughs> callers and people that email us. So, but we we do it with love. I mean, we're really just trying to help. So um, if you have any follow-ups or whatever, feel free to uh, email me anytime. Uh, it's Nathan at FoxLSAT.com. And I really do. I respond to every single email I get. I always have for 10 years now as an LSAT teacher. I, I love my students. I love all the listeners. And I, I, I just, I'm really, I know I'm a dick, but I'm really trying to help. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Nathan. <laughs> that I'm a dick. Yeah, no, that you're trying to help and you know, make okay. some other things. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, let's let's jump into the, the June 2007 LSAT. Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah, so if you don't have this test, just Google June 2007 LSAT. It will pop right up. Go to the second section, which is a logical reasoning section. Uh, in this particular episode, we're on question 22. Um, we are not going to talk about anything else, I don't think, in this episode. So if you haven't done this question, you can always stop here, go do it uh, when you have time, and then come back, or you can just follow along. Nathan, do you want to read this one? Sure. Uh, An editorialist says, news media rarely cover local politics thoroughly, and local political business is usually conducted secretively. These factors each tend to isolate local politicians from their electorates. This has the effect of reducing the chance that any particular act of resident participation will elicit a positive official response, which in turn discourages resident participation in local politics. Hmm. Okay, a bunch of boring facts about media and politics. Yeah, I um, a, a couple thoughts came to mind as you were reading this. One is what you just said, this is just a bunch of facts. I don't feel like there's an argument here. It's just the person saying, A, news media, they don't usually cover the local politics and local political business is usually secret. Uh, these things make these local politici- politicians isolated. That all sort of made sense as you were reading along. The last sentence was a little more convoluted, and I think it's because the test writers here put in some sort of nouns as opposed to verbs. Like they said, any particular act of resident participation. And just instead of saying uh, the residents participating or not participating or something, they, they made this very wordy. But looking at it again, it's saying that, okay, if the politicians become isolated, then this will reduce a positive official response from those politicians 
when anyone sort of tries to participate, when any resident tries to participate in the political arena, it's very unlikely or it's less likely that a positive official response will occur, which in turn discourages residents from participating. Instead of saying that, they said discourages resident participation, which is a, a noun and kind of hard to follow. But now that it makes sense to me, I had to reread it a little bit there, but now that it makes sense to me, it's just like, okay, this all kind of makes sense a little bit. Yeah, this causes this, causes this, causes this. Like, okay, I, I'm following the chain. I could start arguing, but it's which one of the following is most strongly supported by the editorialist statements. So it's a must-be-true question. So, you know, I, I don't really need to waste time arguing. Yeah, I agree. Even though I wanted to. And, and as I was reading, I was thinking about possible counter-arguments, but then you, you, you quickly you just see that question stem and you say, ah, okay, never mind. It's fine. I'm just – it's a must-be-true question. I'm going to go into the answer choices looking for the most boring, obvious, safe, you know, conservatively stated answer I can find. Cool. Um, so A says particular acts of resident participation would be likely to elicit a positive response. I would stop reading that right there. Okay. How come? Um, because we don't know what would where a po- a positive response would happen or not i mean all all, sorry all we do know is that uh, since there has a a reduced chance that any particular act of resident participation will elicit a positive response then people are going to be discouraged or we know that isolation leads to less uh, positive official responses we don't know any situation when particular acts of resident participation would be likely to elicit a positive response. Yeah. Now, I think that... Although, I don't know. Now that I read the whole answer, maybe it would turn out to be the right answer once I came back to it. But, you know, I'm pretty fast getting through the answer choices on a first pass. So, I don't know. Well, let's read this for a half second because I think this is wrong and i think it's a common oh, because would be likely if it said more likely it would be a better answer be more like yeah if it was more likely it'd be better i i feel like this is almost like a a false contrapositive we know that if they are less likely or less or if they are isolated then we're going to lead to this you know right. less participation and you're absolutely right if, if if you said then less isolated you could say probably more likely to receive a a positive response, mm-hmm. but this just says likely. Likely to be a, p- a positive response, which definitely does not have to be true given the facts. I mean, it could be that it's always rare that any particular act of resident participation, I mean, whatever, there's hundreds of thousands of residents, right? Mm-hmm. And there's two people in the office. And so any particular act is probably or could conceivably already be very unlikely to elicit a positive response, no matter how isolated the. Um, politicians are yeah so just to clarify the the key word difference here that we're focusing in on here is likely versus less likely so a relative statement was given to us in the passage and answer choice a is giving us an absolute statement it's telling Mm -hmm. us what the actual likelihood is and we don't know anything about that all we know is that it would be uh, more likely even if it's really unlikely to elicit a positive response yeah well said b says Local political business should be conducted less secretively because this would avoid discouraging resident participation in local politics. 
Okay. I feel like this is a, an easy one to get rid of because of the word should. Uh, the All the facts were normative. In other words, they were, I'm sorry, all the facts were descriptive. They were telling us the way the world is. Uh, mm-hmm. There was no mention of what should or shouldn't be the case. And answer choice B starts talking about the way the world should be. Yeah, there was a story recently. This week I saw a story on Above the Law uh, asking whether law uh, whether the LSAT had a liberal bias to it. Mm. And I agree that the test is written by academics, and academics tend to be sort of liberal. But one thing that sprang to mind when I read that story was a, an answer choice like this really is a trap for idealists. You know, they're, they're trying to kind of catch young people who are passionate, who, who want, you know, because you think politics should be more open and transparent and whatever, Mm -hmm. then, then you pick this answer that said, yeah, local politics should be less secretive, but that's not justified by the editorialists facts. And there is no really standard moral code of the LSAT. So I just think there, and we've seen other answer choices, right? Where it's like, this one is there to trap environmentalists. Yeah. <laughs> this one's there to trap people who really like animals. Um, you just got to be really careful that you're choosing, that you're answering the question and not just like letting your own bias. Show. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, but it, it reminds me of assumptions that people have trouble seeing. It's the assumptions that really play into something that they consider so obvious or true. Uh, you know, you have some logging company that's destroying forests and the, the conclusion is like, oh, they should be stopped. And everybody's like, yeah, they should be. Not realizing that the assumption is that if you destroy forests, that's a bad thing or that it should be stopped. Yeah. And so I think the LSAT's pretty good at trying to predict um, what assumptions we're likely to agree with and thus not see that the argument is making those assumptions uh, in that way exactly i'd be curious to read that article actually i haven't read it but uh i took a g have i mentioned this before i took a gmat uh reading comp section a couple years ago or a year ago and um i was actually shocked about how conservative it felt after reading Hmm. so many lsat reading comp passages so i'm not uh, I'm not saying that the LSAT is liberal necessarily or has a liberal bias. Maybe just the GMAT has a conservative bias, or maybe I just read a few yeah. weird passages. But it was it was funny. It was something like, hey, uh, this big corporation comes to this small town, and everybody gets jobs, and now the small town is saved. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever see this on the LSAT. <laughs> yeah, no, probably not. I mean, I think maybe the reading comprehension, just the topics of the reading comprehension passages tend to be stuff that liberals and progressives academics would like yeah. on the LSAT. But I definitely don't think that the questions are any easier to answer if you have a liberal bias. As a matter of fact, I think it's maybe the exact opposite that kids, you know, young, progressive, like um, radical uh, students, which we see from time to time, tend to struggle because they they think that like their morals are relevant when they're really not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, C says the most important factor. I could probably stop reading. I agree. Uh, that is not a good answer for a must-be-true question. We were never to- told which factors were more important than any other factors. The, you know, they they did mention a couple factors, but 
those don't have to be the most important factors. Just because that's what the editorialist is talking about right now does not mean that those are the only factors or the most important factors. It's C's out immediately. Yeah. D. Sorry, can I just say one more thing about that? Yeah, yeah this is a super common wrong answer uh, to say yeah. most important or, or the primary factor or something like that. And it's really common in reading comp because a lot of reading comp questions are inference questions, must be true questions. They're asking you what has to be true based on the passage. Yeah. And the wrong answer is used most. This is another example of relative to absolute because mm-hmm. most is a relative statement saying it's more important than other things. And since we never actually had that in the passage, like you were saying this is wrong so just yeah it's amazing on the reading comprehension how powerful that is i mean i can take a student who is a, you know really strong uh, on the lsat overall and they are good at the reading comprehension you know they they only miss two or three something like mm-hmm. that and i will really frequently look because they'll be like oh well i'm good at reading comprehension so let's not talk about these and then i look at i'll say well hold on a second let me see your mistakes and I'll look at the mistakes and I'll say, oh, you missed this one? Okay, did you narrow it down to two? And they'll say, yeah, I knew it was A or C. I picked A. Or, you know, I'll, they'll just say, yeah, I narrowed it down to A or C. And I'll look at the two answers and I can tell them what the right answer is without even reading the passage just because reading comprehension questions are almost all must be true questions. And this answer here, C, the most important factor, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad answer for that type of question. So look at your reading comprehension mistakes and ask yourself whether the reason why you're missing it is because you're picking bad must-be-true answers. Yeah. Another word to watch out for would be any. We just talked about some last night in class. People picked this answer. Almost everyone picked it, but it's like, wait, it said any. Is this going to be true for every situation? No, yeah. it's wrong. So Yeah, any, all, always, only never you know those are really it it has to have said exactly that in the facts or else it's not going to be the answer on a must be true question Uh, d more frequent thorough coverage of local politics would reduce at least one love this answer this is going to be the answer would reduce at least one source of discouragement from resident participation in local politics. Yeah. Super soft. This is more frequent coverage, so it's relative. We talked about uh, at the beginning, right? Rarely cover. We're just going to say, hey, a little bit more, and then we're yep. going to get at least one. It's a great phrase for a must-be-true question because we don't yep. say it's anything more than one. Yeah, this is this is almost certainly it. Yeah, it it's which, you know, at to to justify at least one source of discouragement all we need is one source of discouragement well the editorialist is talking about exactly one source of discouragement okay fine so that's at least one source of discouragement so that's the answer it just can't possibly be false d must be true based on the editorialist statement d is going to be the answer and here's one where right ben if 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 i would have just said hey ben don't read the argument this is a must-be-true question. The answer is either C or D. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you would pick D oh, every time. Sure. It's just so easy yeah. because it's so softly stated. Now, of course, that's not how we would answer the question. We're always going to read the facts. Um, you could have a softly stated answer that goes like the opposite of what the actual facts say. Yeah. And that would be not the answer. But since D is perfectly in line and it's just, boy, it's boring and obvious and, and so conservatively stated... Uh, that is going to be the answer. E says, 
if resident participation in local politics were not discouraged, well, we have no idea what would happen. But anyway, this would cause local politicians to be less isolated from their electorate. Maybe not. They might already live in the evil lair at the top of the mountain, <laughs> and they might not give a shit whether the residents are, um, you know, encouraged to participate or discouraged from participating. We don't care. So D is just easily justified. D is going to be the answer. You know, something interesting about this question, um, we got rid of answer choice A because of the difference between more likely and likely. We got rid of B uh-huh. because of the word should, so telling us the way the world should be versus the way it actually yep. is. We got rid of C because of the word most, most important factor. And then we got rid of E because it's talking about causation. I consider this question a very easy one, and I'm not... I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, but some questions I consider very hard. It's like, yeah, this is a tough question to think through, and the, the difference between the right answer and the wrong answer requires a lot of thinking, and it's sort of a nuance that's challenging. But this one I feel like is is a very easy question, yet it's a question that most people get wrong. Less than half yeah. of the people who, at least based on the data from my students, less than half of the students get this right, and a lot of people pick A and they pick C. And those are two answers that are pretty easy to get rid of uh, B is the the third most chosen answer it's still very common and the should just knocks it out so I feel like this is a good question to focus on because it's one that if you can get your mind wrapped around these ideas then it should be fairly easy to apply to a lot of other questions sometimes they're really nuanced yeah. hard questions it's like wow you learned this little trick for this one particular question you may not be able to apply it to others but this is definitely one that I think that's worth um, internalizing yeah. Yeah, it's a good teaching question. I mean, people suck at uh, must-be-true questions. Until they learn how to do them, people just suck at must-be-true questions. But this is a really good example of a question where once you know what you're doing, I just don't think you're going to miss this question very often. Yeah. Well, good. So um, I think that's that's pretty good for an episode. What do you say? Yeah, I think that is it. Um, I just want to remind listeners that my Logic Games playbook is for sale on Amazon. I've heard really good feedback about it so far. Um, There was one typo on page like 300-something, but I'm already working on a fix on that, and the book's print on demand, (laughs) so that'll be fixed by the time you buy it. But yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think of it. Yeah, I'm excited. I want to see it too. I'm going to go ahead and uh, buy it today. Um, I forgot to buy that already. Jeez, I hope you don't uh, abandon our podcast relationship. I might, I might be able to send you a promo copy. Oh, really? We're on that, we're on that level of friendship. (laughs) We're old friends by now. It's been almost two years. Cool. Yeah. I'll be excited to check it out. We're going to have a party for our like two year uh, podcast anniversary. Yeah, we should. Where will it be? San Francisco, LA or DC or somewhere Um, in the middle. We could go to or Skype. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. That'd be much more practical. Uh, we'll meet in Las Vegas. How about that? We'll have a little meetup in Las Vegas for all of the thinking LSAT listeners. Vegas. Yeah, wait. They, we could do like a poker, thinking poker sort of. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyways. Bring it all together. Yeah. What, what happened with Kate, by the way? Or is it Kate? Or Kate Hall, uh, she said, she tweeted me and said, uh, hey, hit me up after this tournament's over and we'll talk about it, which I have. I've sent her a couple tweets since then, but she's just, you know, she's busy. She's a rock star. I, I don't blame her for not coming on hard. Yeah. Show. Uh, hopefully she comes on. Open invitation. Yeah. So uh, for any of you out there, you can always email us questions at help at thinkinglsat.com. You can email me directly at ben at strategyprep.com or Nathan at 
Well, it's Nathan. Fox yeah, it's Nathan at foxlsat.com. Um, yeah, or tweet me at nfox. Nfox. Okay, cool. Or tweet us at thinkinglsat. We're always open to questions. You can also write them on the blog itself, which is just thinkinglsat.com. We respond to those as well. Uh, sometimes just bring them onto the show or onto the blog directly. So whatever works, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.